Buju, welcome to the second episode of Native Lights. Where indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm the other host, Cole Primo. How are you doing today, Cole? Very good, very good. Very interested in uh, the, the people you got on today. Yeah, so they are Breond Morrison and Kayla Abed. Uh, both northern Minnesotans now, so um, kind of in more towards my neck of the woods. There you go. So in the first episode of Native Lights, we talked about finding purpose, using your gifts. And I think today's conversations are with people who do the same thing. They're, they're finding their purpose and using their gifts. And also it a lot of today's themes are about identity and how one goes about using that identity in their art. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The um, finding purpose, I feel, is like an overarching theme of this entire uh, podcast in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So today, you know, it's more, we're going to focus a bit on the artistry and identity, which I think both of us also have a bit to say. Yeah. On as well. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Being artists and having an identity as well. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Briand is from Grand Portage, which is that way, way, way north, east, tippy tip of Minnesota. And he's a tribal member of the Grand Portage Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. Mm. He's also the son of the late George Morrison. Oh, yeah. He's the painter, right? Yeah. He's the abstract expressionist painter and he also draws okay. um, but he's an all-around artist i think he has some sculpture so it he's just this powerhouse of art <laughs> it's pretty cool briand has been playing for 50 years uh, so he's got about 30 years on me all right <laughs> yeah let's take a listen to a little clip of briand's music that it's got that clean kind of jazzy feel to it right so this this piece is from Brian's album called musical impressions so Brian has done interpretations musical interpretations of his father's artwork so he'll play these tunes while he projects or puts up on a screen his father's artwork mm. so it kind of i don't know it kind of like plays off of his artwork so gotcha. it's like this double double artistic expression one from george morrison and one from Briand. like a generational thing like yeah that. so Briand is working on this new project called anishinaabe jazz we'll hear more about it in this episode we'll hear more about it and its process but the main the main focus is combining Brian's Western music learning 
with his Anishinaabe heritage and traditional music. It's pretty neat. So I first met Briand at a gig in, at the depot in Duluth. It was amazingly snowy. It was like December or something. <clears throat> it was one of those wonderful days in Duluth where you can't, you know, drive up the hill. My little Prius like started skidding back. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to take another way. But so the gig was for a fundraiser for Standing Rock. Uh, and I watched him play and I was totally blown away. You know, he uses a looper. So he like lays down the progression first mm. and then he'll improvise over it or play a tune over it, which is, I thought it was pretty neat. So yeah. he's kind of like a one man show. Um, I also learned, you know, in our chats that he was a software engineer or a software developer. Say what? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he has that dual mind, which I think is pretty cool. cool. Anyway, so as you know, Cole, and I know, it can be a somewhat rare privilege and uh, pretty hard work to be a full-time working musician. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a grind. Yeah. So it's usually good to have a steady gig too. But Brown is a full-time musician. That's awesome. Yeah. So throughout my conversation with Briand, he talks about identity and jazz and his family, which is all part of this, what I like to call creation story and inspiration for his project called Anishinaabe Jazz. Let's hear some of the conversation I had with Briand. So Briand told me a bit about how he got to where he is as a jazz guitarist. Nice. I'm Brian Morrison. I'm from Grand Portage. I'm a jazz guitar player. I love jazz because it's it's a f really fun for me to play. It, it uses um, my entire being. It requires a lot of concentration and um, and it and it flows. It's like a puzzle. It's like you're weaving your way through this this landscape of harmonic, you know, this harmonic landscape, and you're just like weaving your way in, in and out and through, you know, using scales and ryth rhythmic things. And it's, it's just so fun to play jazz. I was born in New York and raised in Rhode Island. Um, moved to St. Paul in 1970. Moved up to Grand Portage here um, in 2000 when my when my father passed away. I came up to settle his estate. At the end of three years, I uh, officially moved up here. And so that was about 2003, and uh, I've been here ever since. I was a software developer, so there's no software developer jobs up here. So I did some computer-related stuff in the casino, mostly. And, and the rest of the time, I've been practicing my guitar. of mine said you know he said you know they they pay people <laughs> you know they, they they pay people for playing guitar like this and 
And I thought, oh, okay, well. Um, and I went out and I got some jobs initially, and it, you know, it was slow starting, and it took many years to to build up my act that I have, and and then and to kind of um, get known enough to be hired consistently. So so now I've gotten to the point where I I, I get to do this full time. So I don't I don't have to have a computer day job. <laughs> I uh, I just uh, practice a whole lot and and try to find gigs and play them. Got to find those gigs, huh, Cole? Always. <laughs> so at this point. Briand is living in Grand Portage as a full-time jazz guitarist. And then he starts to do some more exploration of his Anishinaabe heritage. So in this next bit of conversation, Briand talks about his father, George Morrison's experience growing up. And then how that plays into how he himself was raised. My father didn't teach me any traditional ways, the language or much of anything. And and the reason is 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 he he didn't want me to go through what he went through, which which was was you know the bigotry, the oppression, the racism. When he was six years old, he was taken, you know, from his family and put into Hayward uh, boarding school, right? And so, and those were the days when they took they took kids from their families and you know, and <laughs> put them in boarding schools. And so, so he didn't speak English, you know, and, and so he learned English there. And anyway, so he was inoculated with tuberculosis and contracted tuberculosis, and he had to have his left hip bone removed when he was 10. And he spent an, an entire year in a full body cast when he was 10 years old. And, and I think at that time, he, since he was bedridden, you know, he discovered books and reading and, 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 and drawing and such. It's very painful to, to, to think of, even when my, my father was born, even now, really, as my father was growing up, you know, how Indians were treated. Um, it, it was, it's just, God, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So I was an only child. Um, for the most part in my life, I guess I've felt sort of lost in a way. I, I took my first drink when I was 11. And... And then, and then by the time I was 14, I, I was doing all of the, the 70s drugs, which was acid and speed and, and mushrooms and smoking pot all the time. And, yeah, and, and going to keggers on the weekend. And, you know, so it was, a, it was a big party, you know. I knew I had a problem right away and, and I, I didn't want to have a When, 
what I've discovered in my search for myself and, and going going forward and finding my path, the reasons on how you got to be a certain way, they're important, but they're not as important as moving forward. For most of my life, those aspects were, were very superficial, okay? It was, it was like how I fit in and, 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 you know, what I looked like and what I, you know, what I thought I looked like to other people and, you know, and what they thought of me. That was like the most important thing, right? But, but now it's, it's like none of that matters like it did. Briand is now sober, actually. He did go through treatment several times. Great. Um, Good for him. Yeah. So that's great. And he said he doesn't know why, but the last time he went through it, it just stuck. So way to go, Briand. So in that conversation, Briand talks about racism, mm-hmm. right? Bigotry that his father experienced that his father didn't want him to experience. So I'd like to talk just a little bit about, you know, what were those times in our lives where we might have experienced stuff, bad moments that we've carried with us that we maybe don't want other people to experience. And, you know, it's not going to be at all on the level of George, George Morrison and being in a boarding school. Definitely not. Um, So I just like to, you know, take a moment, you know, is there anything you'd want to share? I guess uh, things that stick with me is like, you know, coming from our background, which is mixed ancestry, you know, being Native American, being Scandinavian, you kind of live in two worlds. So I'd remember going up to the reservation and being called a, a little white boy by the kids there. And then, you know, coming back to elementary school or something like that, where I was being called a little native boy or, you know, being put, being placed as the, the, the native person in our Thanksgiving play as a child and not even really understanding that that was kind of covert racism. But yes, um, something that I believe we, yeah, we both experienced. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember being called half breed. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you get it kind of from both sides and, um, but just experiencing that from, um, kids at school, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you calling me that? Like, is that a, is that a bad thing or is it just like a fact or, you know, I, I don't know. But I do remember one time that I was affected actually to tears. You know, I'm, I'm a sensitive person, <laughs> but no. I was, I was on school bus. I think it was middle school. Oh yeah. Maybe middle school. And kids were acting really rowdy. You know, the kids, you know, kind of in the middle of the bus. As they do. Yeah, and throwing things and like screaming and yelling. And the bus driver pulled over and he starts yelling. He's like, sit down, you're acting like a bunch of wild Indians. And I was like, wow, I don't know any Indians that act like that. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know, maybe, but I, I don't know any. And... You know, I, I kind of realized, I mean, I, I sat there thinking, like, he must not like me. Or he must not think that my family 
can behave or something like that. And at that point, I, it really hit me like I got off the bus and I like, I cried and I almost didn't know why, mm. but it was just almost like, that's my family you're talking about. <laughs> and that brings up the whole uh, media portrayal of native culture and, you know, the, the wild savage and that's going to going to be covered in other episodes, of course. Yeah, exactly. And I can't wait to talk about that yeah. too. And it's a whole other thing. Yeah. So, you know, there are all these things that, you know, I don't want, you know, my kid to experience sure, yeah. and hopefully, you know, mindsets change or at least hopefully. it gets out of the, you know, this is cool to say. Mm -hmm. It's funny. We did call the school and mm. he did get a talking to. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that ending. Yeah. We talk about overt versus covert racism and you can ask somebody have you experienced racism and it's like well yes daily but not somebody coming up to you and saying mm -hmm. you know xyz racist comment subtle right the subtle racism the sis systematic mm -hmm. systemic racism and things like that that are just built into societal structures so Again, that's a whole other thing, too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, back to Briand. Luckily, we have great people like Briand and other artists who are out there doing this work that's, you know, expressing identity in this way that's self-expressed and doesn't rely on the media or somebody else to express it for us. Briand will talk a bit about how he went along a bit further in his journey um, of the self-discovery of his identity. In these moments, Briand realizes he wants to truly explore his culture, his culture that was largely downplayed like his entire life. It, it was my father's 99th birthday. And on the way back from one of my gigs, you know, on that day, it was a Sunday, and I, I just, I had to stop at his gravesite, which was in Chippewa City, which, which is right outside of Grand Marais. And, and I went up there and I looked, you know, I visited his grave. And, and so I walked around and I saw um, his father and his, and, and, his grandfather, you know, so so my grandfather and my great grandfather, and 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 I looked at all the names that were there, and and and, and I really absorbed it. And then I thought about my, you know, my ancestors, and they were all from up here, and this was the very land that they, you know, that they where they lived, and and that beach is the very beach that they, they walked on. And so I, I needed that to, to feel like a part of my, my ancestry. When we had this conversation, it was a pretty chilly day, but we still braved the cold and had a bit of a conversation on the beach at his house on Lake Superior. The waves come and wash the the pebbles um, out. I mean, the, the the they completely clear this so there's bare rock underneath. And then the next day, 
the waves will bring a, a big pile of, of rocks here. And so it's kind of like a beach again, you know? So one day it's, there's no beach, <laughs> then the next day there's the beach again. You know, and, and it wasn't always like this because for a whole summer I slept right here. A medicine man told me to, I asked him what, what I, was, I was having trouble, I needed some guidance and medicine men rarely do this, but he said, he goes, sleep right there. And he pointed to this very spot. And I, and so I did, I slept out here for a whole summer. And, and at the end of the, the summer, I, we had my naming ceremony and he um, gave me a name, had a dream, a spirit at the edge of the lake. Bay Kamagabo. This was in 07. So all these moments of self-discovery, of learning more about his identity, Briand is now pouring all of this into his project called Anishinaabe Jazz. My new project is called Anishinaabe Jazz. I want to uh, explore my own um, training and my own style of music that I've studied and developed, and I want to bring that in with traditional Anishinaabe singing and drumming. And I want to, I want to, I want to bring them together as a form of self-discovery. lived this life and you know I felt mostly that it was I was kind of an oddball you know but you know but I but I made it through and I, I went through the motions of going to school and then learning stuff and finding something you know a job and, and experiencing and getting to experience a lot of good art and music and and some of the most affecting music that to me ever that I've heard is the Anishinaabe drum and the native drum. Um, anyway, so when I hear this music, it's just I, you know, it just my heart just soars. It's like I can I can feel my whole body my fill up. Like that's how I want to. That's how I want music, my music to be. And I, when I play it, I want to feel that. I want to feel my body fill up, my soul, you know, fill up. doing with Anishinaabe Jazz is that I listen to the music and I listen to the drama, I listen to the singing and and then I try start to play along with it. And then I go to myself and play something, carrying through the same emotional content. It teaches me, and so that's that's the beauty of where I'm at. This this journey through music that I'm taking is it's it's a journey through life. Oh man, I really want to jam with this guy. Yeah, that guitar sound is smooth. Yeah, but 
do you remember hearing the drum for the first time? Like what Brianda's talking about here? I mean, I must have been very, very young when we went to the, my first powwow. But yeah, it does have that effect on you, that just that, that pulsing rhythm and the, you know, the soaring, soaring voices over the top of it. And it's something that continues to definitely inspire some of my music today. Yeah, and you know, he was just playing that little bit there that I caught. He was just playing that in his in his uh living room. Mm. And so I just kind of <laughs> recorded it a little bit and you know, it has that pulse and the the melody on top and I was like, yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> but yeah, I remember hearing the drum for the first time and being like, holy smokes, my hair is blown back. You know, it's almost like you can hear it with your eyes. Right, like the vibrations just like go everywhere in your body, mm. uh, which is just so beautiful, and I think very connecting. You know, connects people with this vibration, this pulse, um, and that's one thing that I really like about powwows. Yeah, hearing that. One of my biggest musical influences is Robbie Robertson of the band, and he's Mohawk native, and he brings in a lot of his uh, native experiences into his songs yes i i hear that in some of the the music that you do including you know some of the incidental music or uh, music that we have for minnesota native news mm -hmm. So um, I also have a little bit, and sometimes it's not even like you're trying, mm -hmm. right? It's just, just it just happens. comes out. Yeah. Um, here's a little bit of one of my tunes. It's called "May We Rest," and I think we did have this conversation in rehearsal. But the the drums are very much native inspired. got that foundation of the drums and then your inspiration of you know like you know your Tori Amos piano and stuff like that <laughs> you, know? you are now my best friend <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you said Tori Amos yeah. in the same sentence as you referring like to me <laughs> we're gonna mention her in every episode <laughs> that's awesome but there you go Back again, planting a fence. 
So again, you're listening to the second episode of Native Lights Podcast, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. We just talked about Brian Morrison's project, Anishinaabe Jazz, and I'm super excited for it. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but next, I talk with Kayla Abed and her partner, Wase Abed, and their young baby, Beatrice, or B. You'll hear her from time to time. <laughs> she's so cute. I'm talking to Kayla because she's this great writer and really uh, passionate and committed mm. to the art scene in Grand Rapids. Um, she works at this awesome art gallery that I go to <laughs> a lot. And <laughs> whenever I go, whenever family visits, I try to make sure to take them there. Oh, of course. So next time you come up, Cole. Uh, sure. There <laughs> we go. When you're in a little bit one of the stops. of a hurry, <laughs> we'll go there and I'll show you around and um, hopefully she'll be there. Um, but it's it's really cool. And so that's kind of how I first met her was basically going to this art gallery. Cultural hub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, they're a really great couple. And her husband is a painter and an artist, and he's Malak's Band of Ojibwe. Mm, love whoop. it. Yep. Rep, rep. So, you know what? Let's have them introduce themselves. My name is Kayla Ishtachinchilawin um, Imachiapie. I'm a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. My name is Wase Abed. Um, I live in Grand Rapids. Uh, I'm a painter and an artist. Kayla's a writer, as I've said, and her work is really rooted in her Lakota identity. Mm. And she talks about how a couple years ago, she went to the Indigenous Art Journal residency at the Banff Center for Arts and Creativity in Alberta, Canada. Wow. I was there with a whole group of amazing intellectual Indigenous people from across the whole world. And the whole time we were talking about kinship and relationships and what, what does that mean? And, and so I talked about that a lot in my academic career and just being around other Native people, kinship, kinship, kinship. To be Lakota means to be a good relative. And I thought I knew what that meant. You know, it's not something that's gonna overnight, all of a sudden you're gonna be like a good relative to everybody and know how to have your relationships with other people or things in nature. I think that's the ultimate realization of humanity, but you're always working to create those relationships. Kayla is so thoughtful when it comes to kinship and relationships. And, you know, that is in a lot of her writing, and we'll talk about that in a bit too. But it's, it also finds its way to her home. Mm. Kayla and Wase mm. had very different experiences knowing their culture, like growing up and stuff, but now they have a blended family. They have they're married and they have baby B. So they have this coming together of both Lakota and Ojibwe. So it raises, understandably, a few big questions, um, especially when it comes to raising baby B. Sure. I think we were both at like the point in our life where we were like both looking to start a family. So she wasn't something that <laughs> was like totally a surprise. <laughs> yeah. 
so now our our big challenge is um, how are we going to develop a plan to raise her culturally? Is it going to be Lakota? Is it going to be Ojibwe? You know, so we have those big questions and we're trying to find a time to talk to some elders from my side of the family to see how we can get her more wrapped around that kind of atmosphere so she can grow up with it and it becomes normal for her, you know. Hey. And then letting her choose what what she identifies with. I mean, just <laughs> not trying to make her choices for her, but, you know, still trying to um, make uh, her options uh, as, as multifaceted as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see some Ojibwe books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like a hard thing. Like, I... When I lived in South Dakota, I was like gaining language fluency and I know then I moved back to Minnesota and then I moved to northern Minnesota and then I was like, there's not too many options for Lakota language learning around here. Linguistically, we want her to like at least know like the basic vocabulary like a lot of us do. So Kayla and Wase are both discussing how to go about navigating their cultural life not only when raising a child, when, when raising Beatrice, but also in their relationship. We got married in May of this year. And so like, that's one thing that both of us are kind of working out too. Like what would just our relationship be like in a perfect world in regards to like integrating our culture into our life. And so for raising B, that just like adds a whole nother like level <laughs> of figuring that out but I think like in a perfect world we'd both like be engaged in ceremonial practices maybe like individually within our cultures but when we planned our wedding we didn't even think about it but that but we planned it on a weekend when big drum ceremony was going on so it was really challenging for his family to get up for a wedding and then it was like right before Sundance season started out in South Dakota so there's just like all these different things that we need to like constantly be planning for spiritually. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad she shares this with us. You know something about this, right? A little. <laughs> you and your husband, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Daniel is a member of the Lower Sioux Indian community. And we, you, I, are Malax band members. So there's a little bit of cultural difference there. And we also have a son, Marvin. And, you know, we have some differences. And sometimes we, you know, if I, if I point out a bear to our child and say, hey, look, it's Makwa, you know, he'll pipe in, oh, well, it's, and then say the Dakota word. So, you know, we, we, we have this bit of a competition. It's, it's lighthearted. It's not serious. Uh, but what we found is in our relationship and in our household, we kind of we kind of go for the middle ground. So, okay, we use, you know, tobacco, we've got our sage, and so more, like, culturally appropriate teachings go on in our house. And, you know, it's not perfect by any means. So, you know, Daniel and I both weren't, aren't completely immersed, right, in our native, in our respective native cultures. So we're... We're doing the best we can, let's just say. 
Also, the Dakota word for bear is mato, I believe. Mato. That's right. I knew it started with an M. (laughs) I'm like, there's at least one thing in common between the two. (laughs) So, yeah. And you probably remember Daniel's and my wedding. You were in it. Yeah. I I remember uh, you you had both Dakota and Ojibwe represented at the wedding, of course. Yeah. We had... um, Uncle Larry, again, a Mick Smallwood, um, come do the ceremony with our dad. So there's a pipe. And we had our youngest brother, Bryce. He did a reading, I believe, in Ojibwe, in Ojibwe Mullen. And we also had uh, one of the leaders in the Dakota community come and speak as well. So we tried to have a blend. So I wouldn't call it so much choosing a culture or choosing a way to go, but more of an integration of cultures and kind of finding that common ground. Working together. Yeah. And that is also something we apply to how we raise our child. And in the next clip, Kayla talks about how she was raised. And growing up, there was, uh, understandably, some confusion about who she was. So I'll let her speak to that. I um, was raised with my mom, my biological mom, but my dad, he adopted me. My parent, my mom and my biological dad, did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> my mom and my biological dad, they split up when, like before I was even born. So my biological dad is Hunkapapa Lakota, and then my, <laughs> my mom is um, German, I mean American German. When my non-biological dad adopted me my parents moved to central minnesota so i grew up like a really central minnesotan life except for the fact that i was like the darkest kid in school i think there was one other kiddo like with me and he was mexican and so like we were always together (laughs) and it oh no (laughs) i just really felt separate from a lot of things and To be honest, my parents weren't completely honest with me about who I was until, I don't know, until I was like nine or (laughs) ten. I had a lot of identity issues. So like in first grade, I remember I just wanted to connect with people who looked like me so much that we were reading a book about Jewish culture. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what because the people in the book had dark hair and like I was like maybe this is what I'm supposed to be like and my teacher like yelled at me and called me a liar for wanting to like connect with these people in the story and she's like that's not who you are and I'm like I know that's not who I am but like I don't know who I am at all and my mom gave me not that it's her fault she just you know didn't know I don't think what how how to approach her situation and so she gave me like a little thin plastic book that said the Sioux on it and that's kind of what I had to go on for a long time and it made me really angry and I think it it was when I was in first or second grade when she finally told me that like and I I knew like that my dad wasn't my biological dad I think but but it, it wasn't until we were like on a walk at my grandmother's house and she then she finally told me out loud that I was adopted and my dad is my dad because he was there the whole time but he's not 
the dad who made me, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think all of that type of stuff really led to some really tumultuous times, particularly in my teenage years. And it wasn't until I was able to go to South Dakota, I, I was kind of like welcomed back into my culture with a, with a family. And I, I had my naming ceremony, went through some other ceremonies for the very first time. It was like this realization, this internal realization of this is who I am and I had been missing that. I didn't know that I had been missing something, but this is what it was. I was like 17 then and she's she's at the point where I was when I was 17 and she's a baby. You know, you know what I mean? We we're just trying to integrate her into into our cultures and and I'm still learning about my own culture. So yeah. And then you grew up like way differently than me. Our stories <laughs> we've actually had uh, long conversations about how we grew up, and I grew up culturally um, with a really culturally centered family. Um, grew up Native American um, with the Ojibwe ceremonies and um, you know going to the big drums, and it was just I was it was always around me so much that I just took it for granted growing up. And then I kind of moved away from it. Whereas Kayla, she was, she didn't have the cultural uh, immersion like I did. So she went to it and then I kind of moved away from it. But I didn't leave it. It's just, it was just kind of how things played out. But so in my perfect world, it would be, I, I would, I, I, I like how Kayla really centers us culturally and what she wants for, for Beatrice. And so we we're really working towards trying to make that make sure she's raised um, culturally uh, aware of the stories and the and the traditions and the history of our people All right. I really like that uh what do you call it juxtaposition of her like, not being involved in the culture but then coming to it and then him kind of moving away from it but not leaving it like, I don't know I just like that yeah and Makes it something that's more of a journey and less of, you know, a spot that you stand in. Mm, yeah. It kind of brings back uh, how uh, you and I have uh, experienced a mixed-race family with our mom being Scandinavian, Swedish, and our dad being Ojibwe. And uh, just how you kind of live in two worlds. And I don't know if, if I had a real problem with identity because they both, they both you know, exposed us to ex culture from their side of the family. Right, like I love cooking up that krumkaka every year. Oh my gosh, the Scandinavian side's amazing too. Yeah. <laughs> Making the lefsa. Ooh. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, we were raised on saunas too. Love saunas. You know, it's it's real. It's, you know, and we did both. And But I remember dad teaching me how to snare rabbits mm. at our old house in northeast Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that but i remember being intrigued and then very disturbed <laughs> because something had gotten gotten caught gotten to the rabbit that we had oh, managed to snare before we found it but anyway so you know a lot of this stuff was more of you know integrating culture um and just kind of embracing you know what we i don't know what worked for our family mm -hmm. right yeah and you know, there were some 
there are some tricky points too, I think, especially around religion. Um, not necessarily in our immediate family, but more in our extended family. Yeah. Um, like a pressure to, to subscribe to Christianity and things like that. Yeah. Versus, you know, traditional Ojibwe upbringings, which, yeah. you know, it, we, I don't know about you, but I feel like I kind of ended up doing neither as opposed to <laughs> picking one. Yeah, but at the same time, I always, you know, respected uh, the native way of, you know, respecting the earth and and just connecting with uh, the animals and having all these stories for them and just the importance put on that. Yeah, one of the one one really quick memory that I had was, you know, I think we were trying to go to church or something like that. You know, one of those brief phases that didn't last. Yeah. Um, but I asked Dad, because I saw him sitting on the couch looking out the window. I mean, like, Dad, why don't you come to church with us? He's like, church is all around us. Church is out there, mm. like, pointing to the woods behind our house. He's like, that's where, that's where my church is. And I was like, boom, I, yeah. think, I think I get it. <laughs> I like that. You had to come back every time after that, for sure. Yeah. So, sacredness of place... Yeah, dad found meaning in it, and we kind of passed it along. And similarly, Kayla has a deep connection to place, too, especially when it comes to her writing. All right. When I really sit down and I start to write, especially when I'm writing in an artistic way, in order to be in that creative space, I have to, like, put my body there. (laughs) My mind and my body transmit itself to that specific spot that's really special to me in South Dakota. I can like stand or sit or lay here, like on this couch or in my backyard, and my mind can like make me be there, standing there, feeling the wind of like all the different seasons. I can like smell it, the dust and Visually, I imagine in my mind, like, all these lines and wires and breath are, like, swirling around in my head all the time. But when my spirit is in that place, it's steady. (laughs) Yeah. So, I love how Kayla describes transporting herself into this landscape that inspires her. And this works its way into Kayla's writing. And, you know, (laughs) I totally relate to this as well because I, and you probably do too, as a songwriter, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get into that mindset? Where is that place that you go? And I love how Kayla, you know, transports herself to this South Dakota, windy lushness of imagery that's going on there. And do you have any places that you transport yourself to when you write? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely love that because a lot of what I do with writing uh, creatively or music is just creating a setting and uh, just, I don't know, living there for just a little bit, whether it be, you know, uh, you know in your own writing space or um, looking upon a vast waterscape or something like that. I don't know. It it it's not. I don't have like a set place that I that I um, that I try to write about. It's it's. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a case by case deal. But if I had to think about it, I feel like 
just uh, you know the stars and the universe is something that I consistently write about, which is being a you know just awed by vast space and constellations and nebula and all that thing and all those things. I don't know what I'm saying. Do you have a song that kind of is? Yeah, Sparkin' in an Endless Black oh, is yes. one of my, it's just, you know, kind of acknowledging that we're all just, really just a spark in this massive universe, but appreciating that, not just thinking of it as we're insignificant, but we are the universe being aware of itself. Got it. I, I kind of have a default, and, um, you know, a couple years ago, I got really into painting, and a lot of those paintings were of birch trees and like wood, woods, and um, just nature outside. And this was when I was living in the cities here, in the Twin Cities, and did not necessarily know I was going to be moving up to the north woods of Grand Rapids, but I surrounded myself um, in these imageries of the North Woods, and that's where I would always love to go in my mind to to write, you know, next to the river, you know, snow on the ground, um, birch trees, maple, like all these, just kind of being hugged by the woods was kind of my little place that I'd like to go. So here's one of Kayla's poems that she read for me for this podcast, and I feel like it's a really good representation of what we've been talking about. Gaginwajiwanung, um, Grand Rapids. This place or site or access where we come to sit, talk, and pray together as a community thinking. The electric landscape with intention brings us together, holds us together, breaks us apart. So in this place we call home, Lakota Hemachukashto, all the ways that we are the same, ways we are different, ways of being, the matter of our bones, their bones, makes me wonder if the rocks have bones, a skeletal structure that outlasts the elements or the fertile experiences that were renewed through the protocol, the inquiries we call ceremony. I like how she says the electric landscape with intention, like, uh, you know, acknowledging that everything around us is, is churning and moving with, the, with each other and that it does have a certain path, I guess. that time that we wrap up this episode of native lights so what will we be talking about in our next episode okay so in the next episode we're going to be uh talking about finding your family uh we're grappling with family identity and how the foster care system you know plays into that if the government can't raise a good child but community and people can and i think there needs to be places where people can go to say 
I need to get out of this lifestyle. Yes, I dream of love. We're gonna close out with Cole Primo's song Spark in an Endless Black. They'll never know in these rolling times. The future feels alright, but it's just a spark in endless black. We want to thank Briand Morrison, Kayla Wase, and Beatrice Abed for joining us today. We also want to thank our engineer Justice Sanchez, our project manager Aaron Warhol, producers Lori Stern and Melissa Townsend. Briand, Leah, and I created all the music for this episode. Giga Wobblemen, everybody. We'll just slip into its grip. How can we count these endless days we circle around in a hope Native Lights Podcast, where indigenous voices shine, is a production of Minnesota Native News and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Native Lights Podcast is made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and the citizens of Minnesota. No matter how it ends, let me sing, let me sing. A dream of love seems too vast to cross, but there's much that I'll never know. Can I pass the time with you by my side? We're just a spark in endless black. Just a spark in endless black. We're just a spark in endless black.